welcome to the Youth Development Professionals Guidebook. I'm your host, Michael Garcia. And I'm your co-host, Al Ferreira. Thanks for joining us. Let's get started. Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining us for another great episode of the Guidebook Podcast. We are excited to have with us Dr. Timothy Gordon. Tim, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I am doing great. Tim, um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, so I'm, a, I guess, a sort of new Buffalonian. Um, uh, my family and I moved here uh, just uh, three years almost to the day uh, from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. So uh, born in Chicago, raised between Chicago and Detroit and sort of made my way around the Midwest. Um, so I'm very familiar with the Great Lakes. Uh, and so I'm glad to sort of uh, venture over on this side of them. And uh, I work uh, at Buffalo State as the Vice President for Student Affairs. Uh, I'm a proud dad of three kids uh, and a fur baby, Mabel, uh, and a proud husband to Bradley. Um, and so, you know, I just really have enjoyed, particularly as of late, getting to know uh, all things Buffalo and certainly am a convert as a Bills fan, especially after this past uh, past weekend's victory. So, um, so yeah, and I've been working with, uh, in higher education for just over 26 years and also, uh, spend a lot of time working with, um, young people, teens, uh, and of course, college students, uh, in a number of capacities, um, and certainly have a passion around, um, work that supports, uh, different aspects of identity development and supporting uh, social justice. And that's our episode, everybody. Thanks so much. That was great. I mean, that, <laughs> <Very well>. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, that was, that was awesome. Tim and I've had a chance to chit chat ahead of time and, and my son went to Buff State for his first year. So we're a little connected in that aspect. You have, uh, you know, clearly uh, as, as the VP of, uh, of student affairs at Buff State there, you know, how have you, how's it going this past uh, uh, year? How, how have things emerged and changed and uh, uh, modified for you and, and the youth that you serve? Well, I will tell you that when I interviewed for the job and had a chance to visit the campus even, and even before, um, the community at Buffalo State is just one, and I've been obviously around higher education a long time, is an amazing one. And I think uh, our, the sort of, you know, one of the mainstays is that we really pull together. And as a, a campus that's very diverse in a number of ways, um, I think folks have just really, that's in the DNA of the campus. Um, and as, you know, an urban engaged campus, I think that is even uh, more in our DNA in terms of we are connected in ways to our city uh, and um, to each other that, you know, we, we really lift each other up. And so, so going into this, I think we, we already had that. I think uh, what we have gotten used to is a lot of pivoting, uh, which is probably a word that uh, folks will say, please stop using uh, in, not, in the not too distant future. But I think uh, what we really did was work well together as a campus and our students and our faculty to make that transition last spring to quickly do remote learning and then spend time over the summer planning really well to return this fall and that worked well for us. 
Um, students did an amazing job uh, following the guidance related to all of the safety precautions related to COVID-19. Uh, and our faculty did an amazing job in terms of um, adapting their teaching modalities and styles and being flexible in um, all sorts of ways. So we have um, been very proud of our community and, and it's, it's, it's gone well, but it's taken a lot of sort of going back to the drawing board to really think about things in ways that we sort of, you know, when you are in person or able to do things sort of a little more, uh, you know, sort of on the fly, it's, it's a little harder when you really have to think about um, how do you deliver this in, in a very intentional, high quality way. So I work with amazing, an amazing team that has thought of some really creative and dynamic ways to keep our students engaged at a distance and online. So, so we're proud, we're looking forward to February 1st and the start of uh, our spring semester. So overall, we things have gone well, but it has certainly uh, required a lot of pulling uh, by the entire campus community. So talk to us, how are you managing that? How are you looking out for mental health at your school for those kids who are not leaving the dorm room? You know, go to the one class a week that's live and everything else is on Zoom with their roommate. So we have a really strong infrastructure that even before uh, COVID really was about making sure that we have a good mechanism to have faculty and others share when maybe students are disengaged or they're concerned about someone or they learn information maybe that a student has experienced um, a challenge and we're able to sort of put them into um, a support network that then we can check in on them. Some of the things that we've been really uh, mindful of with respect to COVID is uh, one of the great things that our faculty did as students returned this fall and some other volunteers on campus is that they did regular phone calls with students to uh, check in with them. We certainly have great RAs and staff in the residence halls uh, that are checking in with students. Faculty have done a good job uh, being engaged and watching student engagement um, in their uh, platform, their course platforms. And so, uh, so I think those things have been really critical in terms of making sure uh, we uh, connect with folks. Our wellness staff, particularly our counselors, um, have done a really great job shifting to a telehealth uh, model and so students we actually have more use of our counseling center um, we had high use anyway but even post-covid students have just continued to engage with that which isn't surprising it's a very stressful time uh, for everyone but that's been really critical for us to make sure we pay attention to to make those things and keep them as accessible as they've always been uh, to help support our students and then we've done a number of things to um, engage conversations give students space to uh, whether it was the summer giving space to talking about social justice and particularly Black Lives Matter and uh, the murder of George Floyd and uh, Breonna Taylor and a number of other African-American in individuals this past you know, calendar year. Uh, but that was really important. It's part of who we are as a diverse community, but it also was important uh, that we give students space and not forget to do that even in a virtual environment. And so it, again, it would really make sense and be sort of second nature to do that in person, uh, but to also take our restorative justice framework and our team there and really create spaces for students to be able to engage with that. Uh, and so those are some of the ways we're just really looking out for what students need and the support uh, that they need. And, you know, we have a number of folks like advisors and completion coaches and 
Um, so there's a whole web of folks who are just out there to reach out to students the minute a flag is raised about a concern or if they haven't heard from them or a parent contacts us to say they have concerns, whatever the case may be. So that's been, been really important as we moved in this space. You're going back uh, early February, I would assume. So probably mm -hmm. when this air, when this episode airs in a week or so, you're going to be mm -hmm. back with, with campus, uh, with students on campus. Mm -hmm. How are you going to intake them? I mean, COVID's not getting better at this point. Knock mm -hmm. on wood, it's going to, but right now it's, it's not better. So mm -hmm. talk to us. Did you learn something when you first took them in, in August, September that you're going to change for, you know, February? Well, I'm, you know, really proud of just the work that our team on the campus did. And so one of the things that we really made the intentional decision to do was to phase students back in to campus so that we could start to identify if things were, um, we were starting to see any emerging of uh, virus in any pockets of the campus and students could uh, get acclimated. And so that was that in addition to uh, regular testing, um, student requirement to complete a daily tracker and get an icon that allows them admission to class into buildings. Um, we do a lot of surveillance test, a lot of surveillance, a lot of testing and a lot of uh, contact tracing um, to make sure we've kept our um, rates as low as possible and isolate any concerns quickly. We have a uh, number of spaces on campus this semester that will be used for um, medical isolation should students become positive and symptomatic. Uh, and so, and then with the other layers that are being added from a SUNY perspective and each campus's perspective is that students will need to do a seven day um, in the, within the state of New York and, and attest that they've done a seven day quarantine. Um, and then also when they come back have present um, a COVID test um, result that is within uh, a PCR test that the result is within the three days of their arrival. Uh, we will then begin uh, required pool testing for our students uh, starting when they return so that every student every week will do a, a surveillance, a pool test, if you're familiar with that modality uh, that we work with upstate, SUNY Upstate to uh, to do and to manage. So our, our health center staff and a number of volunteers on the campus manage those operations. So it's really multi-layered in terms of uh, making sure we understand where we may have concerns, isolate those quickly, uh, keep folks safe, and again, working with students to make sure they understand uh, the need to and the requirement to mask, to be distant uh, physically, um, and to also make sure that they're monitoring their own health, they're engaging in good hand sanitation um, and those sorts of things. And of course, we've added a number of things around the campus in terms of dining and those sorts of things that would be uh, distant and, and in compliance with New York Department of Health and Erie County Department of Health. You've, you, you've used a word that uh, I love a couple of times now. You said intentional. Uh, my my uh, friend and mentor, John Maxwell, wrote a book about intentional living. Uh, and, um, uh, you know, he, he says there's a, a big difference between a life of good intentions and an intentional life. Uh, and uh, as you've talked about your uh, uh, your staff, your, your team, uh, and the types of things that they've done intentionally to improve uh, the, the student life. Uh, you know, there's a lot of mechanisms in place. Um, can you, uh, you know, tell me a little bit about uh, what that process has been like for you as far as that intentional living uh, uh, portion of it uh, uh, 
and, and what you've learned as a result of putting practical, intentional practices in place? So I think, you know, whether it's work or just sort of life, I think I've, I've really, you know, um, I think growing up, my parents really instilled in us um, some values that were really important. And that was to, uh, to make sure that we always did what we could to help other people, to be grateful for what our position and, and what opportunities uh, we had. I did grow up with a lot of resources. You know, we were um, a fairly middle-class family and um, I was the first person in my family to go to college. And so education particularly is one of those things my parents were, I think, very, very much adamant about, not because we had to do X, Y, or Z, but because that sort of understanding your place in the world and how you contribute to the world and how you treat people has been uh, really important. And so I think in terms of, of that piece, the, the place that I think we all in this context and, um, and sort of in my life is I've tried to make decisions um, and be a person who could, um, in my small way, make a difference and be a good person and make decisions that uh, were supportive of other people and not just centered uh, on myself. And certainly I fell into a profession that is very much about that, right? It's about sort of, but it also is because I'm also, I understand the value of giving back, right? So many people poured into me, including my parents and people when I went to college as a first generation student and when I was a youth in the Boys and Girls Club. And so it's been very important to me to find those ways to be able to do that. And, and one of those things was I'm a person who's adopted. And so it always was my intention and very, very much plan to um, adopt children. And of course, I've done that um, in my family. And so, so, you know, it really is about, I think, just understanding that what you put out in the world is what you get back. It is um, if you really want to see the world in a way and you think that that's important, you have to really behave in those things. And I really, I don't think it takes large sweeping uh, things to be done. It just, you know, it, it, as trite as it sounds, it, I wake up and just try to be a good person, right? And I, I hope that what happens is people see that from me and understand that the place we make decisions from and how we support people and the things that we do really are connected to our humanity and helping people get to where they need to be. Because when they get there, we all get there. And that's, that's really important. And in this context, it has been really critical to keep people safe, understand the trauma that students have experienced on a number of layers in our community and they bring to the table and how we help empower them and move them forward to achieve their goal of getting um, a degree. You've expertly um, uh, and, and uh, diabolically uh, answered one of the questions that we always ask about what you learned as a youth uh, that you can apply today uh, before we even ask that. Uh, and clearly, you're living an intentional life. We're going to take a quick break and hear from uh, one of our sponsors and then come back uh, to hear a little bit more about Tim. If you're interested in having your voice heard on this podcast, go to youthdevelopmentpro.com and send us an email. Thanks, everybody, for staying with us. We are here again with Dr. Tim Gordon of Buffalo State University, SUNY School up here in Buffalo, New York. And Tim, I want to kind of lead you down this path. Talk to us a little bit about what makes Buff State stand out over you know, the next college down the street. 
Well, I talked earlier about what a special place I think it is, and I'm so privileged to work with the amazing group there and, and our president, uh, Dr. Catherine Conway-Turner. Uh, really, I, I think, one, we really do see ourselves as Buffalo's college. And so we are the only institution in SUNY located in the urban center, and we take that mission seriously. We are a campus that uh, both by sort of distinction and classification, um, but also by intention and work are connected to our community. And so, so one of the things our students get that's I think part of their great experience is whatever they choose to study, they really do have the city as their laboratory. Uh, we have faculty who are, because of the nature of the campus, very connected to the community and able to uh, get our students connected in that way. The amount of time our students spend uh, volunteering in the community uh, and just being engaged is great. And of course, we have amazing uh, programs and resources for students uh, on the campus. And our diversity is certainly, you know, one of the points of pride for us. We are we are so excited that part of the results of a Buffalo State education, when we look at uh, the data and some of the recognition that we've got, is we've consistently been recognized for our excellence in diversity, but also in our students achieving upward mobility uh, economically. Uh, and so those things are really important to us. And I think that's that's really what the faculty and staff and uh, folks are focused on is helping our students really achieve um, the completion of that degree, be contributing citizens to the world and uh, use that experience to really learn about uh, people who are different than themselves and what it means to, uh, to really be a citizen engaged in sort of this global, international um, and complex society that we're in and, and take advantage of uh, the city of Buffalo. So when we are in person, we do a lot to acclimate our students to the city who are the students who come new to us. We, of course, uh, if you know our campus, you know, we also have the ability or the connection to both the Elmwood Village area and all of our great, uh, some of our great cultural um, institutions, including on our very campus, the Virchfield Penny. So, um, so all of that, I really think ma makes for a really interesting and wonderful campus experience for students. Uh, and so, of course, you know, we have a good athletics program and uh, so students can engage in that way as well and get to connect with each other in lots of different ways. So, Tim, the Birchville Penny is a virtual Birchwood Penny Arts Museum, right? Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's such a sort of uh, connection between the city and the campus. And I think it just really gives our students an amazing uh, education. And we have a faculty that just really are focused on teaching and supporting students and helping them be uh, great at whatever it is they are wanting to do with their life. So Tim, let's, let's shift gears a little bit. Let's talk about, you know, you mentioned before diversity and, and inclusion and, and, uh, social justice. What are some of the things that your school, and, and pick one, I know that you're probably doing a hundred, right? But pick that mm -hmm. one that you're, you love that your school does that other schools can either, you know, get from you. And I'm sure you, they could reach out to you and you'd be more than happy to share that info. But like that really is making that impact. And you feel that's really kind of educating human life skills, as opposed to just regurgitating a book. Yeah, I, I think that this is happening in lots of pockets. And so you're right, it would be hard to, um, you know, to, uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to pick favorites, but I, the, I think one of the things that I'm proud of, the team that I work with, one of the things that uh, we've really been doing in partnership with the campus is really um, focusing on 
the concept of using the restorative justice framework in lots of ways to uh, help our campus explore the nuances and complexities of identity uh, and uh, all the things that come with that and all the things that have come in the history of our country. You know, so obviously we've had lots of discussion of late about uh, really the results of systemic racism and um, how do we dismantle that? How, do we, how does everyone play their part? And also how do we get to a place where we uh, can be engaged in a dialogue about understanding what that means. My lived experience is different than yours, but part of that framework really encourages us to lean into um, what we bring to the table, value that and use it um, as a jumping off point. Connected to that is um, our Anne Frank project, which is another uh, program that, that really explores in very sort of um, focused ways, uh, these concepts around social justice and uh, using um, a teaching framework to, again, help people tell their story, learn from each other's stories in ways that are restorative and moving forward. So one of the great things that they do is um, one of the trips that students take as a part of this program is really taking this model, going to Rwanda, working with uh, educators in Rwanda to be able to use that framework as a way to heal from genocide or move, or or at least move forward. And, and, and But that really is very much the concept, right? It's that we appreciate each other's stories. We're not, we're not dismissing what has happened that has brought us to this point, but understanding uh, more succinctly about what's brought us to this point and how it's impacted all of us and how we use that as then some way to, uh, to move forward with that change or that uh, really meaningful, I think, you know, from a campus standpoint, um, our, our benchmark is really meaningful inclusion, right? And so it is, um, and if you are truly inclusive and you are truly sort of understanding what everyone brings at the table, the first thing you have to say and understand is that there's a whole structure that's there that's not informed by that. And we have to take it apart piece by piece and understanding, stand it piece by piece to be able to do that, whether that's what's happening on a campus or what policies are made or what decisions are made in the community, any of those things. But I think that that's the restorative framework and, and, and sort of picking that up and really layering that into helping us set expectations as community members uh, about how we engage with each other, uh, what our, our sort of mission and, uh, and connection to the community is, those sort of things I think all feed into uh, that concept. So, so Tim, that, that meaningful inclusion, and I love that term that you used, uh, as you look forward from now uh, to 18 months from now, let's say we're past this uh, pandemic and, and some of the, 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 the hurdles that we've been uh, on, uh, that have been ongoing throughout the, the, the last year, 18 months, um, uh, really for quite some time. Uh, picture yourself, 18 months from now, two years from now, and looking back at some of the meaningful inclusion that you've been a part of, that you've been intentionally putting into place. What would Tim 18 months from now say to Tim today about what you've done, whether, you know, what's worked, what hasn't worked, maybe what you might consider doing differently? Uh, you know, the, the place we started when we sort of tried to look at uh, bringing folks back to campus or really just moving past the, I think, immediacy of what was happening and looking at the longer term impact of uh, the pandemic and what it was forcing us all to do 
was really in very real, real ways, making sure we understood how that impacted people and, and, and giving people space to be able to hear those stories and understanding that reactions people had to what may seemingly be mundane things may be not at what we predicted because there's so much sort of tugging at people and on their mind and even at sort of uh, you know at a, a visceral level whether you, we've heard lots of neuroscientists talk a, a bit about where we are you know I, I think one of the things I really appreciated um, early on my sister is a neuroscientist as well uh, but hearing from someone saying you know our body is really in this space of uh, it's trying to choose what limbic response we should have towards this threat that is out there, but not visible to us, right? And so do we fight? Do we flee? Do we freeze? Uh, and, and different people have responded that in different ways on different days. Uh, but, but really understanding that and then understanding, again, we go back to this uh, piece about lived experiences, right? There is a wide variety of lived experience with this virus. The, the number of students that we have who've lost multiple friends and family members to others who may not have been as closely touched by it, although we all obviously have not escaped uh, being impacted by it. So I, I would hope that in 18 months that we've continued to use that empathy and that understanding and that appreciation to shepherd people through to the other side. Uh, and and that's, that's really important. But I think that's it's one of the things that I think the great lesson for me in all of this is really just continuing to challenge the assumption and, um, you know, belief that we have to do things in a certain way and we have to sort of, you know, everybody's path right now, I think, is a bit windy. Uh, and, and that's okay. It doesn't have to be a straight line. And maybe, maybe that's part of what we're learning from this, right, is... Um, that we have to zig and zag a little bit and that that's important and that we have to support each other uh, in doing that. So I hope in 18 months that we uh, did a good job attending and to and appreciating that and using it as a lens as we dealt with each other. So, so Tim, you talked about the school and you're, you're identifying in 18 months, you know, I mean, there's going to be a generation that are just mm -hmm. going to be COVID kids, right? That, mm -hmm. And I'm not even, the kindergartners really are going to bounce faster than the sophomore in college or the sophomore in high school. We had, we had a high school principal on uh, two weeks before he opened this fall. Right. Mm -hmm. And so he was, you and him, we got to connect you guys. Cause you're talking the same thing. Right. And what that looks like. Have you, and, and you being the school, has your school started those conversations now about your freshmen when their juniors are going to be different than any other juniors you've ever seen before. Right. So mm -hmm. have you had those conversations? Is that a, uh, on the mindset or is it still, and which is totally okay. No, we're right in the middle of it right now. This is what we're focused on. Well, I mean, it has required a, you know, that's the interesting thing about all of this is that we, we sort of have to react in real time, right? We have to understand it's not only the students who are moving through at this point who are with us, they have the students who are coming to us in the next, you know, however many months for to, for entering fall class, and how we have started to sort of understand them, and then there is, as you said, this residual sort of component that is the students who are two, three years out, or many years out. I mean, some of the literature in higher education <clears throat> talks a lot about how student sort of generations of students are shaped by different 
you know, life events that happen, whether that's, you know, I, I often lean on this because it, it is very visceral for me because I remember it and I, that uh, my generation, for example, had really a, a lot of challenge with some of the literature says uh, with faith in institutions as we watched, you know, the space sh shuttle Challenger explode before us. And I was just telling our students this story the other day, right? When I was in school, that was a big deal. They rolled the TVs into the gym or the hallway and we watched it and it was a, it was a big deal. Um, but it was also a big deal to see that and, and how that, and so the way this pandemic is, has shaped us, I think will be in ways we don't even understand yet. And I think we are doing um, our level best to understand that it right now requires some flexibility. Obviously we have a number of sort of, again, those things that have sort of been standing assumptions like standardized tests and uh, some of the ways that our high schools are, are working with students and those sorts of things have started to shift and they will continue to shift. And so yeah, on our, our campus, the conversation really is not only tending and supporting uh, those students that we have now and understanding how the world is affecting them, but trying to also get a glimpse out over the horizon about what those students who come to us will need and how they will see the world and what will they bring to the table and in what ways. And those, those are really lofty ideas, I think, you know, but, uh, but some of it is yet to be seen. Yeah, we, I was just talking about this with my, my son and my wife the other day about and and flippantly called it you know the kennedy moments right and so there's a generation that remembers and mm -hmm. i you know my parents could speak specifically sight sound smell where they were when kennedy was shot mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. i like you remember sitting in uh, a common area at my school and then having that shuttle explode and i remember the teacher looking at us looking at other teachers and then just shut the channel off and shut the TV off and we didn't speak of it because mm -hmm. they didn't know what to do, like what that is. And, right. and you look at that and like, I mean, you know, the college students right now, college sophomores were born, you know, 2001, mm -hmm. 2002. Right. And that life has changed and what we're dealing with. I think it's really important. And I love and, and commend that you and your school are thinking like this because that's where we need to get to yeah we got to react don't get me wrong we got to fix tomorrow <laughs> we mm -hmm. got to fix you know xyz number of kids coming on campus in february but we also need to fix xyz number of kids coming on campus in february 2024 mm -hmm. and, and what that looks like so and i think understanding trauma is going to be so critical yeah uh, and it's something i think we were just sort of starting to explore and lots of segments of our society related to things that have happened um, that get lots of discussion. But I, I think this will be, this is a big one. It is a, it, you know, is a large collective trauma that, that people have endured in ways that are, are, are very different for each of us. Uh, and so understanding how that shapes people will, you know, some of it, like I said, we just, we don't even know yet. We just have to try to anticipate or at least know things will be different and they will seem different and this is likely why. I think the entire concept of fight versus flight 
plays out uh, in uh, headlines over and over again these last 10 months, 11 months. Uh, and, and we're not done yet, clearly, obviously. Uh, Tim, that, that uh, I, I love what you do and, and, and the foresight that you put uh, towards thinking intentionally about uh, uh, the students that you have as well as the students that are coming in. Uh, how do we get a hold of you? How do, how do we have some of our listeners uh, touch bases with you? Uh, uh, we may even have some listeners who are interested in coming to your school mm-hmm. uh, or possibly working there, d- 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 dependent on uh, if they're looking for that uh, urban center college uh, that, and, and that, that lovely uh, multicolored tapestry that you described. Mm-hmm. So uh, email is easy. It's uh, gordontw at buffalostate.edu. Uh, if you want to find me on Twitter, I'm at twgordo, uh, at twgordo, um, or Dr. Tim Gordon on Instagram. Amazing. And we'll put uh, Buffalo State website linked in in the context of this of this podcast so you could click directly on it and and go from there tim uh, anything anything you want to tell us before we go this is your time um oh well i I mean i i certainly hope that we as uh community buffalo and uh, beyond continue to uh be able to turn the corner but I, i think ultimately no matter what we're facing i think it's important that we um we do that collectively, we do that together, we do that in a way that uh, values each other's uh, unique contribution uh, to humanity and understand that, that it just isn't. And this is a lesson that I learned over and over again, uh, that uh, my life is my life and it is not necessarily the template for anyone else's. And so every single moment gives me the opportunity to understand in very sweeping and very sort of nuanced ways that um, how my experience shapes me and how others experience uh, others experiences can stretch me and and i think that that's really important that if we can sort of continue to be in that collective lifeboat together uh, i think we will move forward and 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 i hope that's the message that our students get that my children get uh that uh you know the youth that i work with get that um it really is about understanding and valuing each other in all sorts of ways and that's not a that is not uh you know sort of um window dressing that means we got to do some deep and meaningful work and be there and make the mistakes and engage in i think authentic ways uh to be able to do that but i think when we do that and and i say this you know having been my lived experience when i have been open to those moments and engaged in those ways and found work that sort of was centered on that um i feel like you know the world has just been open and and so um it doesn't mean it's perfect. It doesn't mean there's not ugliness. It doesn't mean any of those things. But, uh, but ultimately, it gives you the resilience. It gives you the connection to other people to, to know no matter what, you know, you are in their corner and they in yours. Amen. Amen. So thanks, Tim, for joining us. We really uh, appreciate you coming on and spending this time with us. Uh, Al and I are going to take a quick commercial break and we'll be right back. Hi everybody, this is Michael Garcia and I am here to talk to you about Youth Mental Health First Aid. 
This course is designed to teach neighbors, teachers, parents, peers, and caring citizens how to help a youth or teen who is experiencing a mental health or substance abuse challenge or crisis. The course discusses mental health challenges for youth, reviews typical adolescent development, and provides guidance through the ALGE Action Plan for both crisis, non-crisis situations. Topics covered in the manual include anxiety, depression, substance abuse disorders in which psychosis may occur, disruptive behaviors, disorders, including ADHD and eating disorders are covered as well. If you're interested, go to youthdevelopmentpro.com and sign up for our next course. Hey, thanks for staying with us, everybody. I really hope you enjoyed uh, Dr. Tim Gordon as much as we did. Such such an inspiration. Al, what'd you learn today? You know, I, I and I think our, our takeaway may be the same one. When he started talking about, you know, how my life is in somebody else's life, uh, uh, you know, I instantly, I'm, oh, John Maxwell's law of priorities, uh, a leader's the one who climbs the tallest tree, surveys the entire situation and yells, wrong jungle. Uh, and leadership just understands that activity is not accomplishment. And it's so clear that he is living a very intentional life. And not only in his career, but in his personal life, we didn't even get into some of that and just being adopted and having adopted children himself. So great lessons from Dr. Tim Gordon. So, and over to you, Michael. Yeah, I, Al, you took the words out of my mouth. That was just something that just really caught my attention. I think he didn't necessarily use the word, but I think throughout his whole podcast, empathy is what his, him and his school are doing, is really trying to connect and understand and, and, and feel what his students' pulse is happening and how they're dealing with that. So uh, thanks again for joining us, everyone. Uh, Thanks to Tim for, for hanging out with Al and I for a couple of, for about an hour or so here. Um, Al, I'm going to put you on the spot here. So you have some new class coming up. You have a new course you're going to be teaching soon? I, I, I am. Yes. Yeah. Thank you very much for, for mentioning that. Uh, it, it, it is all about diversity and inclusion. Uh, and it, it's, it, uh, it's not that I'm an expert in diversity and inclusion, uh, but uh, I, I am certified now in helping uh, organizations and businesses identify uh, where they're uh, where their staff team is and helping them move along that diversity and inclusion uh, and, and equity diversity and inclusion line uh, it, within the, the uh, you know, the confines of their own business and, and being intentional about it. Awesome. So I would highly recommend Al. So Al, tell us that, how do people sign up for this course, find out more information? It'll all be up on the uh, www.johncmaxwellgroup.com, Al Ferreira. Uh, and uh, at, at, we'll put a link, or I, I believe there's a link on the youth development page now. And if you'd like to find out more information or, uh, you know, if you're following me on Twitter or Facebook, uh, on, on my Facebook page, uh, there'll be information about that as well. Yep, definitely. So if you go to youthdevelopmentpro.com and go to our team, uh, you'll see Al's wonderful face. And then it says click here for Al's website.
and that's where we go. So thanks everybody again for joining us and staying with us and uh, stay healthy, stay well, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you.